Welcome to Be Bold America. I'm your host, Jill Cody. Our program today is Nice Democracy You Got There, Shame If Something Happened to It. It really is quite simple. In the United States of America, we have a two-party system. One of those parties believes in democracy and can tolerate the messy and rancorous nature of people governing themselves, and the other party just simply cannot. The Democratic Party does its best to represent the people in making her own decisions on such issues as a woman's woman's agency over her own body, fighting for policies to address the climate emergency, to pass legislation to protect voting rights, abhors gun and domestic terror violence, and believes the uber-rich already has enough wealth to live very fine lives. The Republican Party has morphed in recent years into an anti-democratic, pro-authoritarian party fighting for a strongman form of government, one man who would have sole authority to rule over the people. This man, and be sure it would be a man, would exemplify the opposite, meaning that women are second-class citizens, the climate crisis is a hoax, voting would be fake like it is in Russia, and gun and domestic terror violence will be tolerated if not encouraged, and give more tax breaks to the uber-rich. We have a clear choice this election, and democracy is on a knife's edge. We have big things to do. Our very special guest today is a longtime talk show host formerly with KGO Radio, John Rothman. As a frequent lecturer on American politics and the presidency, John has spoken at over 150 university campuses throughout the United States, Canada, and Israel. John has been a professor at the University of San Francisco's Fromm Institute since 2004. He has been involved in many political campaigns on the national, state, and local levels, and has published a wide range of articles and books on education, the Middle East, and on American political history. An interesting fact about John is his 15,000-volume personal library, one of the finest private libraries in the country, specializing in American political history and political biography. Welcome to Be Bold America, John. Joe, I'm delighted to be with you. It is my pleasure, believe me. Oh, thank you. I'm so excited to talk to you. Uh, John, before we get going, you know, whether or not you think we'll still have a democracy on November 9th, I have a couple of friends, John and Allison, who loved and listened to you on KGO Radio. Can you tell us what happened to that venerable, iconic radio station and maybe what your experience was? I really can't tell you. I have no idea. Uh, I was all set to do my show uh, four weeks ago Thursday, uh, and uh, uh, I didn't even know that the format had changed. Nobody at KGO knew. The plug was pulled on the Mark Thompson show at about uh, uh, 10.04 in the morning, and uh, I was teaching a class uh, for the Fromm Institute, and only after the class uh, was over, uh, and I'd gotten a million calls that I call KGO to try to find out what was going on. No answer, so I went down to KGO and found out that they changed the format to sports betting. Uh, sports uh, betting? Yep, sports betting. If you turn on KGO okay. HN, it's no longer KGO, by the way. It's oh. They have another name for it, but it's all sports 
betting, and I think they're betting on the fact that in the California, pardon a bad pun, <laughs> they're betting on the fact that in the California primary or election, rather the election coming up uh, Tuesday, that the two gambling initiatives will pass. They won't. But uh, nonetheless, that was the decision by Cumulus Media. No one at KGO had any advance notice. We were all completely uh, taken by surprise. And my great disappointment has to do with our listeners, uh, many listeners who, who loved tuning in. And I was with KGO uh, really since 1996 with a brief intermission when they changed format once before. And so it, it was very tough, and particularly two of the engineers who I'd worked with over the years, who between them had been there for 60 years, wow. 30 years each, and they received literally no notice at all. None of us did. So that's what happened, and I regret it, and our listeners regret it, and I really regret it because it was uh, literally uh, a few weeks before the election, when, which is a time when I wish uh, we had been on the air. Absolutely, and I th also think that they closed two years before their 100th anniversary, right? That is correct. Uh, actually, KGO would celebrate 100 years, but as a talk radio station for 80 years. And interestingly enough, the Saturday night before the uh, end of KGO, uh, we had a reunion uh, led by Mickey Luckoff, our venerable former president and general manager. We had about 100 of the light, leading lights of KGO over the last 30 years or so. And we all gathered. Nobody suspected anything was going to happen. And uh, I had the pleasure of emceeing that event with uh, Lynn Jimenez, who many will remember is uh, was as a business reporter at KGO. Now retired. Uh, but it was a, a complete blow, and uh, what was a wonderful party, thank God, because if they'd done it a week later, it would have been a wake. Wow. Well, I, I'm, on one hand, I'm sort of glad because you're available to be on my show. <laughs> I would have been available to be on your show anyway. I want you to know, and your listeners should know, I'm actively looking for a new position. So, uh, and I, I never, when I was with KGO, ever had a compunction about being on with another host. Aww. To me, the idea of uh, this kind of public discourse and uh, the involvement of our listeners was absolutely critical and remains critical. In fact, this week I have a very heavy schedule of, uh, of appointments. I'll be with Mark Thompson on his podcast on the 11th, and then I'm going to speak to the San Francisco Rotary Club. And, you know, it's, it's, it's been a very busy time, uh, and of course I miss being on the air. You know, I, I always kidded, I never needed a psychiatrist because I had three hours of therapy every night <laughs> on KGO. And really, if I can honestly tell you, the, the loss to the community, when you lose a community bulletin board like KGO, and we had listeners uh, from all over the world. I had more than a thousand emails in the days following the demise of the station from people literally from every corner of the world regretting the fact that they were unable to listen and engage. One of the great things about KGO is we did everything, including local news, state news, national news, international news, uh, and uh, I welcomed, as you know, because I know you used to listen, Jill, yes. I welcomed people who opposed my point of view. That's what made for dynamic radio, and that's what we miss, and there is no talk radio station left in San Francisco, and that is a stunning, and I must say, tragic development. I am stunned to hear that. Uh, uh, it's really, for a talk host myself, I'm speechless. <laughs> 
believe me, we all are. We but, all are. You know, now my wife gets to listen to me all the time. And curiously enough, she said to me, there are three words I cannot ask her. What's for lunch? <laughs> but I do it. Let me tell you, Joe, I know we want to move on to politics, but I, I say this with good humor. I had uh, literally almost 30 years, uh, I started in 1996, uh, of being on the number one radio talk station in America. I have the most wonderful colleagues. I developed wonderful relationships with my listeners, even those who disagreed with me, enjoyed the program, uh, and uh, Sadly, at the demise, I'm told we had about a quarter of a million listeners, uh, and it is they who are the losers in all of this, as is radio. Uh, the, the value of radio, if I can just quickly summarize it this way, is we are with people in their homes, in their bedrooms, in their cars, in their kitchens, in their bathrooms. We are with them, and they feel they know us, and to a degree... We feel we know them. People called KGO year after year after year, and there were new listeners all the time of all ages. Uh, and that is the real tragedy. Uh, what you do, Jill, uh, is important, but we need to have a station in San Francisco with 50,000 watts that continues to reach out to the North Bay, the South Bay, Marin, uh, the East Bay, everywhere, so that uh, people can have that opportunity. How sad that on this weekend before a major national election, America at the crossroads, literally, uh, we do not have that kind of forum here in Northern California. And that, to me, is a terrible tragedy. It is tragic. And, um, and it does lead into uh, what we're going to talk about today, John. You know, we have a nice democracy, an envy around the world, a beacon on the hill. Uh, what is your crystal ball telling you about um, that what may happen in this election? Uh, I had a discussion today with Irv Gelman, one of the leading political scientists in the country, the author of a number of volumes on Richard Nixon, interestingly enough. Hmm. Uh, he lives in Philadelphia, so I, I made the inquiry about uh, Pennsylvania. Uh, it is a state in which the Democrats are going to win the governorship overwhelmingly. Shapiro will win overwhelmingly. And the Republican who is running for governor, who is an election denier, will lose. Uh, in the Senate race, it's very close between Fetterman and Oz. But I really believe that Joe Biden uh, hit the nail on the head, whether you agree with Joe Biden or not on a myriad of issues, when he implored voters to save democracy in the United States. I use the term uh, America at the crossroads. Every election is critical, but this election really will demark where we're going. And all you have to do is take a look at what the Republicans are running on versus what the Democrats are running on, which you did, I must say, uh, quite quite ably and eloquently at the beginning of your broadcast. And America really has a choice. And uh, I hope and I believe that in the end, we will do the right thing. At least I hope we will. Well, we do have a crystal clear choice. And I'm, I'm 
betting on the American people, too. Uh, I'm hoping for the best on Tuesday. Our future depends on it. Uh, You have to remember, in 1952, the Republicans captured the presidency with Dwight Eisenhower, but also the House and the Senate for the first time in 20 years, running on the theme of communism, corruption, and Korea. Those were the issues in 1952. The Republicans in this campaign have seized on crime, inflation, and immigration. And they are running a clear message to the American people. There is an underlying issue. Uh, I'll point this out quickly, and that is a woman's right to choose. I do not call it abortion. Abortion is not the issue. The question of whether or not a woman shall control her own body is the issue in my mind. And the reason why there is some... I don't know, I guess uh, speculation tonight, uh, there won't be in 48 hours. Is there a hidden vote? Remember that in 1936, uh, Alf Landon, the Republican candidate for president, the Literary Digest predicted that Landon would decisively defeat Roosevelt. Now, their polling method, and they had not been wrong in any election since 1916, so their, their methodology seemed to work. But it was the height of the Depression, and they used car owners and telephone users, owners. And, of course, it was completely skewed, because who could afford a car or a telephone during the Depression? The question in this campaign, despite all the polls, is what about all of those people who are on cell phones? who you can't reach to poll. And what about women and men who are angry about the Dobbs decision? Will the fury of that group, which I believe is unpolled, manifest itself at the polls? The good news, Jill, is that more than 30 million Americans have already voted. That's the good news. That's a huge amount. Yeah, we've never seen anything like it. And interestingly enough, the Republicans who opposed uh, mail-in ballots are now encouraging people to mail in their ballots, particularly in Georgia, where the Georgia Republican Party is running ads urging people to vote early, get your ballot in. And remember, the whole theme of the Republican Party uh, was that uh, the election is a fraud and that mail-in ballots are wrong. This despite the fact that the former president of the United States uh, used a mail-in ballot in 2020 himself. So I'm, I'm not predicting, but I'm hoping, because I believe in the American people and I believe that our judgments are basically sound, and I have to hope. By the way, no, no, no election determines everything. But I will predict to you, and I want people to understand this, the major issues that I think we will face. One will be the question of Ukraine and aid for Ukraine, because the Republicans are talking about no blank check. That was Kevin McCarthy, the would-be Speaker of the House. The question of judges and what will happen with judges Although the Democrats control the White House and will continue to control the White House, if the Republicans control the Senate, uh, it's going to throw our judiciary into a tailspin, believe me, because how will anyone be confirmed who's nominated by Joe Biden? Uh, and I would suggest to you that the question of, uh, of the future of a woman's right to choose, let me point out to you that as we speak at this moment, there are medical bans being prepared on the borders of some states so that women can cross from one state into the van, have the abortion, and return home. Uh, It is a sad, 
spectacle. And I do want to say a word about uh, Donald Trump. Uh, I have always been critical of Donald Trump. But the fact that he still is an election denier, the fact that he is still campaigning on the election denial issue, uh, I, I, I have to tell you I'm stunned by the idea that there would be in this country 300 Republicans running for state and local office who are still denying the validity of the election in the year of 2020. If you can imagine, Arizona may elect a governor who is an election denier. Uh, this Mastriano, by the way, in Pennsylvania is going to lose, I think, in part on that issue, uh, aside from the fact that he doesn't like Jews, and, well, it's a whole other question. There are real concerns in this country, and uh, everything hangs on who votes, and we'll just have to wait and see until Tuesday. Yes, uh, well, you're right. We're, we're, uh, I'm on the edge of my seat right now. <laughs> and one thing that um, Donald Trump's father taught him is that there are not winners and losers, but losers and killers. And the idea in Trump's mind to be a loser is just impossible. Well, look at his model was Roy Cohen. Yes. Oh, and Roy yes. Cohen, who was Joe McCarthy's uh, right-hand man during the Army McCarthy hearings and, and in other ways, uh, went for the jugular every single time. And he gave Donald Trump advice, never admit defeat. Right. And that is what Donald Trump is pursuing. Right. What is he saying now to his people uh, when they were asked whether they will abide by the election? Just tell them there's going to be fraud and we're going to expose the fraud. I hope everyone listening to the sound of our voice knows that not a single claim of fraud brought by Donald Trump and Rudy Giuliani and the other election deniers has been proven in the sense of making any difference in the election. And uh, 60 Minutes did a fascinating piece last week on Arizona and what has happened there. I, I, when Katie, if Katie Lake wins the governorship of Arizona, uh, I will be severely shaken. And if Barry Goldwater were alive, he'd be rolling over in his grave. Yes. Yes, you are listening to Be Bold America on KSQD 90.7 FM, Many Voices, One Station. Listen globally online from the KSQD.org website. Our topic today is nice democracy you got there. Shame if something happened to it. And we're speaking with John Rothman, longtime talk show host, lecturer on American politics and the presidency who participated in many political campaigns and has published a wide range of articles and books on education, the Middle East, and on American political history. I'm your host, Jill Cody. Hello, K-Squid listeners. I'm Todd Hartman, and each weekday at 4 p.m., I bring you a different perspective on the news than you're likely to hear on most media outlets. Please join me on KSQD Santa Cruz, your ink spot on the dial for the Tom Hartman program. Heard now for the first time ever in the Monterey Bay area at 90.7 FM. Weekdays at 4 p.m. That's progressive talking conversation with me, Tom Hartman. Weekdays at 4 p.m. on KSQD 90.7 FM. Tag, you're it. We're back, and we're speaking with our bold guest, John Rothman. Want a friend to hear this interview? Be Bold America is available as a podcast. Now you and your friends may listen from your favorite podcast platform. 
such as Apple, Google, Spotify, Radio Public, and many more, and subscribe for free. Now, John, uh, you live in San Francisco, and I'm bringing this this issue up because I think it's going to lead to a larger one. Uh, what was your reaction to Paul Pelosi's attack with a hammer? And what do you think it means for the nation that the Speaker of the House was the target? And the post-GOP reaction to the assault, uh, as you were just talking about Carrie Lake, she was talking about the attack and the people in the audience were laughing, um, joking. And, and yet 88% of the, of the people in this country are concerned about violence. So um, it was pretty shocking to see what happened to Paul Pelosi. Listen, I've known the Pelosi's for many years. Uh, Nancy Pelosi and I have been political allies. Sometimes I've disagreed with her, but we have been good friends all these years. What happened to Paul Pelosi is a disgrace, and there should have been immediately condemnation by every single Democratic and Republican leader. Uh, I would put my emphasis on the Republicans and the fact that there was such ambivalence, except to his credit, Mitch McConnell. Mitch McConnell condemned it immediately, vociferously, and without any hesitation. I have not heard a word of condemnation from Donald Trump. And even though Kevin McCarthy, the would-be Speaker of the House of Representatives, uh, extended a phone call, there's been no formal condemnation. Uh, it is, to me, one of the most disturbing developments in American political history. Not since the 1850s have we seen this kind of bitterness in our country. And I would remind everyone uh, that we did have, during the pre-Civil War period, uh, Charles Sumner attacked by Preston Brooks on the floor of the United States Senate with a gold-headed cane. Sumner was beaten badly. He survived, but never fully recovered from his injuries. And uh, I, I point this out because it is that kind of emotion. And, and let me be crystal clear. Kevin McCarthy, who is in line to become the next Speaker of the House, is already planning a host of other investigations like Benghazi, remember which went nowhere? Yes. But he wants to probe into the Biden administration's ending of the Afghanistan war. He wants to extend the investigation to border policy, to the FBI search of Mar-a-Lago. And I have to tell you, when you think of Marjorie Taylor Greene and Matt Gates, Oh, since chills down people, my spine. Beating mm -hmm. people now in the House if the Republicans take it, and, and that is McCarthy's word. They're even vowing to impeach Biden himself. And I can tell you that the Freedom Caucus, Jim Jordan, may well end up as the chair of the House Judiciary Committee. And he is pledging to investigate uh, Hunter Biden, uh, among other things, to the to great extent. This, uh, to me, is uh, just a travesty. But this is a real possibility if the Republicans take the House. So I want to point this out. But there's another thing, just so our listeners know, uh, if you... Go on the website for Rick Scott, the uh, Republican senator from Florida, who is the chairman of the uh, Senate uh, uh, campaign committee, the Republican campaign committee. They're talking about major cuts in Medicare and Social Security. His 11-point plan to rescue America. I was right. going to ask you about should, that. People should go to the website, take a look at it. And what I don't understand, and I, I, I say this because I want people to understand where are the Democrats? Why have not the Democrats taken what Rick Scott is proposing and broadcast it everywhere? Why have the Democrats not stood up when it comes to Paul Pelosi and pointed out the reaction, the tragic reaction of too many Republicans? If 
Kevin McCarthy really plans to have Marjorie Taylor Greene, who suggests the Jews have space lasers, lasers. to start forest fires, why the heck isn't this part of their campaign? If I were managing the Democratic campaign, uh, I would be focusing on these fundamental, very disturbing aspects of what they're doing. Well, I think that the Democrats have just never been able to figure out how to message well. I also feel that it often doesn't get covered um, in the media. Uh, President Biden's speech on democracy wasn't on wasn't front page news. It was no, somewhere. No, but it was covered no, on CNN it, and Fox carried it as well. I flip between stations and MSNBC, of course, but I switch between stations. Uh, but do you listen to Fox? May I quickly? I, I don't want. Oh, I know you've got a lot no, of questions. No, and no, no. Of course, Fox was on it. it. You're just going right through my question list. Go, <laughs> go, <Carlson>. go. <laughs> Tucker Carlson, the most widely listened to. Uh, host on television, his material is not only false, damaging, egregiously wrong, and he gets away with it. Do you know his lawyers even said when he was sued, well, we don't even believe half of what he says. I don't mind. And he won that, that suit. Yeah. The yeah, judge said, you know, nobody can believe him. And <laughs> that was their, their uh, defense, was that he... He isn't believable. He's so outrageous. Who but would do that? And the court, judge agreed, and they won that suit. Or you listen to Sean Hannity, or you listen to Trey Gowdy, or you listen to, well, some of the others on Fox. I'm not going to give them all that publicity. Right. I don't call it Fox News. It's an oxymoron yes. to call it Fox and News in the same breath. May I tell you, I'm also critical of CNN. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't get what, and Wolf Blitzer is... Uh, I've known Wolf. We studied in Israel together in 1968. Wow. I have a high regard for Wolf Blitzer. Uh, but he is the only one of the uh, talk uh, of the news people who maintains a semblance of balance. Uh, I, uh, Don Lemon may be a lovely fellow, uh, but he certainly isn't neutral. It's, it's not news. It's advocacy. And I want hard news. I preferred, and I know I'm dating myself, the Walter Cronkites, the Chet Huntleys, the David Brinkleys, uh, uh, the uh, uh, Frank Reynolds. I preferred who, what, when, where, why, and how. And there is a difference to me between news and opinion. I know as a radio talk show host that I was not a journalist. I mean, I could be on occasion, but I was really a talk show host. I was entitled to have my opinions, to state them vigorously, and to invite people to argue with me. What you get on Fox these days uh, is one long political commercial for the Republicans, including their interviews with candidates. To me, it is a complete abuse of the airwaves. But remember, it's cable television, and therefore not subject to the FCC. Well, it, uh, you know, Roger Ailes went to Richard Nixon with a 16-point strategy memo to, to develop a, a television station that would be a Republican propaganda tool. That was its intent. Now, yep. Nixon had its own troubles, but he found Rupert Murdoch, and, and news was also... Um, uh, you know, covering what they were doing, the word news, because he really 
I wanted to treat journalism as politics, you know, and also another way to monetize. And Roger Ailes said, we have no obligation to tell the viewer anything not to our advantage. So if, if our was the Republican Party and their advantage would be propaganda, it has always been out, that. Yeah. Ailes did not triumph with that view with Richard Nixon. It took Donald Trump. Oh. Uh, I, I worked for Richard Nixon. All of your listeners know that I worked for many years for Richard Nixon, and uh, and uh, I owe him a great debt, I have to tell you, even though I was one of the first to call for his resignation. And I like to make that uh, perfectly clear, if you'll pardon <laughs> a bad illusion. Uh, but I can tell you, this is not the Republican Party of Richard Nixon. No. It's not the Republican Party of Dwight Eisenhower. It is not the Republican Party of Barry Goldwater. It is a... a, a when, when on the ellipse, Donald Trump Jr. Uh, on January 6th said, we are no longer the Republican Party, we are the party of Trump, I was horrified. And do you know, do your listeners know, there was no Republican platform for the first time in the party's history in 2020. They said simply, whatever Donald Trump says, we accept. That's not a political party. And the idea of one-man rule, one-person rule, of a political party... Uh, and the idea of allegiance. Look, Republicans like Jeff Flake were literally driven out of the Senate uh, by Donald Trump. Uh, it is, to me, one of the saddest commentaries. I believe that Democrats and Republicans need to have diversity in their party. And at least I can find that to a degree in the Democratic Party. The, the, the squad, the people on the left of the Democratic Party, versus the mainstream Democrats. But where are the responsible Republicans? Where are the Republicans who will stand up? Well, there is one, Liz Cheney. And look what happened to her. Exactly. And by the way, I would never vote for Liz Cheney because we disagree on so many issues. But when she was awarded, and some of you who listen to my program on KGO know, I was the one, one of those, but I was one of the first to say she should win the Profiles and Courage Award. And one of my listeners actually nominated her for the Profiles and Courage Award from the John F. Kennedy Library, and she won the Profiles and Courage Award because she deserved it. Doesn't mean I'd ever vote for her, but that's the kind of Republican that I want to see, you know, speaking out. Yes. Yes, you're listening to Be Bold America on KSQD 90.7 FM. Many voices, one station. Listen globally from the uh, KSQD website. Our topic is nice democracy you got there. Shame if something happened to it. And we're speaking with John Rothman, who is a longtime talk show host, formerly with KGO Radio, and lecturer on American politics. Would you like to be added to our news group and get advance notice of upcoming interviews? If so, please text Be Bold America at 22828. Text Be Bold America at 22828. And if you have signed up already, we thank you. We will be right back with our bold guest, John Rothman, right after the Hightower commentary titled, How Money is Suffocating Democracy. America exists today as a bizarre anomaly. We profess to be an electoral democracy, yet we are ruled by a governmental plutocracy. One especially gross example of this incongruity is the overwhelming power of big money over the people's will. By a wide margin, Americans of all political stripes want to ban the distorting force of huge electoral campaign donations by favor-seeking corporations and ultra-rich elites. Yet, nothing. 
National and state lawmakers take the plutocratic money and promptly bury democratic reforms that would stop the gusher of corrupt cash. An analysis of donations in this year's congressional races shows that this plutocratic perversion of our politics and government has reached absurd levels. Historian Nancy McLean and public interest advocate Frank Clemente have documented that the two main super PACs trying to put Republicans in Congress got about half of their $188 million election fund from just 27 billionaires. Also, a corporate front that backs GOP candidates, Club for Growth, got nearly $35 million from only three billionaires. Thanks to years of congressional stonewalling and the steady partisan stacking of our top courts with corporate ideologues, there is essentially no limits on this purchase of lawmakers. Indeed, the biggest donors are even allowed to undermine democracy in secret, not revealing their identity. Lawmakers elected with this money not only support the billionaire's special interest agenda, which the people don't want, but also are fierce opponents of any reforms to increase voter participation in our governing process, which people do want. This is Jim Hightower saying that's why, for example, efforts to guarantee every eligible American a constitutional right to vote have not moved forward in Congress, even though the great majority of people favor it. The Hightower Radio Lowdown is made possible by you lowdowners who subscribe to our monthly newsletter, The Hightower Lowdown. You know who you are. Thank you. We're back. Our topic is nice democracy you got there. Shame if something happened to it. And we're speaking with John Rothman. Now, John, um, I would like to know what you think. Who is an American? What does it mean to be an American? Look. We're all Americans. I may disagree with Donald Trump, or I may disagree with Joe Biden on occasion. We're all Americans. The question is, in a functional democracy, uh, people have the right to speak and be respected. What worries me is we now have too many people in America who doubt the legitimacy of American elections. When Wendell Wilkie lost the presidency in 1940 to Franklin Roosevelt, he gave a speech on Armistice Day, 1940. The speech is called Loyal Opposition, and I'd suggest people Google it and read it. And he says, you know, Roosevelt won the election. He's your president. He's my president. My job now, said Wilkie, is to lead a loyal opposition. Uh, And that, to me, is the key Uh, I think what Donald Trump has done is to inject into the American body politic an intolerance, a denial of democracy uh, that is horrifying. And what is more horrifying is not his delusional uh, statements. It's more horrifying that he has an iron grip on the Republican Party. I listened today to the chairwoman of the Republican Party, who, by the way, is uh, a Romney by birth. And her apology for what Donald Trump has done, she doesn't view it as an apology. She was actually defending his nonsense. And I was sitting there thinking, if her predecessors, including her grandfather, George Romney, the former governor of Michigan, who I had the pleasure of knowing, he he would be shocked. He would be appalled. And even though I did not vote for Mitt Romney for president of the United States, I want you to know Romney at least represents a responsible Republican. He voted for the impeachment of Donald Trump after January 6th. And you haven't asked me about January 6th. The work the January 6th committee is doing 
including uh, Adam Kinzinger, who is also retiring from Congress. He chose not to run for re-election because they redistricted him. Liz Cheney is going. Uh, but their report, which will be issued, I believe, uh, sometime in the next few weeks, is going to be a profound importance. And there is another issue which needs to be addressed directly, and that is the fact that Merrick Garland, who has received a great deal of criticism for not pursuing all of these matters uh, more quickly, let me be clear, Merrick Garland is meticulous in his research. When he decides to indict, and I do believe Donald Trump will be indicted, uh, the Justice Department is preparing a case, it will be meticulously put together. And I believe it will have a huge impact, but the tragedy is, and I say this, Joel, very sadly, that at least a third of the American people will not accept the results. This reminds me, I was once down at the Nixon Library, and I don't make a big thing of it when I go in, although a lot of people know me and connect me with, with the former president. There was a docent who had a group of about 20 people in the Watergate Gallery at the Nixon Library in Yorba And he said, oh, there's John Rothman. You don't know how lucky you are. He worked for Richard Nixon. He was on the president's staff. The president viewed John as a friend. And he's going to explain to you why he was done in by the secret state. Well, I decided right then and there to play the June 23rd tape of Nixon and Haldeman, the smoking gun tape. And then... I played David Frost's interview with Richard Nixon, in which Nixon admitted that he failed and that he made terrible mistakes. I gave them authority, he said, and they thrust it into me. Well, I, I didn't have to say whether I agreed or disagreed with the docent. Nixon's own words indicted him. And the interesting thing is, whatever you say about Richard Nixon, he had respect for American democracy. He had respect for the system. One of Nixon's greatest moments was in 1960, when he legitimately could have challenged the election in Illinois and in Texas and swung the election from Kennedy to Nixon. And Nixon didn't do it. And the reason he gave to my good friend, the late Earl Mazo, who was Nixon's biographer, he said, I don't want to put the country through that. We can't afford that. Nixon was embittered by his defeat, which I think warped him to a degree. But he accepted it. And when the House and Senate met to announce the results of the 1960 election and count the electoral vote, there was not a January 6th. Quite the contrary. If you listen on YouTube to Richard Nixon counting the electoral vote in 1960, he gave one of the most remarkable speeches in American political history, so much so that even a man by the name of Sam Rayburn, who was Speaker of the House of Representatives and frankly detested Richard Nixon, joined in giving him a standing ovation. Uh, that's the kind of spirit uh, I would like to see uh, in the United States today. And that is not reflected by Donald Trump. The great tragedy on Tuesday is that if the Republicans sweep the Senate and the House, if that were to happen, you know that Donald Trump will claim victory. You know that Donald Trump will announce shortly thereafter his candidacy for the presidency in 2024. And you know that a majority of Republicans will favor such a nomination. What a tragic turn for the party of Lincoln. I have a recording in my library of Mr. Lincoln's party today, and the narrator was actor Ronald Reagan, and the spokespersons were Dwight Eisenhower, Richard Nixon, Barry Goldwater, and Nelson Rockefeller. 
each one of them in their short little uh, presentation explain what the Republican Party means. All of them, if they were alive today, would shudder at what has happened to the Republican Party. And so I, I want people to understand that. I want you to grasp it. I want you to think about this, because our future is on the line. America on November 8th really is at the crossroads, and we've got to hope the American people do the right thing. Democracy is on the knife's edge. And another topic, you've just covered a lot of my questions. You've just sort of like you've got my question sheets in front of you. <laughs> but you know, one... It goes to show that what a brilliant talk show host you are. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. you thought of all of these. <laughs> well, one that I did want to get to was our Supreme Court. Uh, we haven't talked about them, and it's been taken over with, by Catholics. And I remember when John F. Kennedy was uh, running for president, everybody was so worried that he was a Catholic, and he would govern with his religious um, uh, beliefs, and, and it was just so... And he had to come out and just say, no, I'd be the uh, president for everyone. I would not use my religious great beliefs. Speech. You yes. can hear it on YouTube. Yes. His speech to the ministerial, Houston Ministerial Association uh, in September of 1960. I was for Nixon in 1960, but I remember Halloween evening, 1960, coming back from trick-or-treating and listening to the broadcast. The Kennedy people put it on everywhere and being so impressed by it. And you're absolutely right to point that out. I'm not worried about Catholics on the Supreme Court, I'll tell you that. It doesn't matter what their religion is, any more than I would be worried if, when there were many Jews on the Supreme Court, or when it was all Protestants. What worries me is the ideological bent of the Supreme Court uh, today, where you have six hard rock conservatives, three hard rock liberals, and let me point out the Dobbs decision on a woman's right to choose was an indication of that. And we have one coming up now on the question of affirmative action. And uh, if the decision is a six to three decision, as many speculate it will be, again, the precedent of law established over all these years will be thrown out. Uh, the Supreme Court uh, is the supreme law of the land. I would remind you, and I remind your listeners, that they should go back and listen to Al Gore's uh, speech to the nation when the Supreme Court ruled against him in Bush v. Gore. And although he thought the decision was wrong, he said the Supreme Court is the supreme law of the land. Well, let me just point out, Jill, uh, all the time I've been speaking on radio all these years, uh, I have said we are not just voting for a president. We are voting for the courts, and it's not just the Supreme Court. It's the federal district courts. It's the appellate courts. And uh, uh, it is a, a, a great American tragedy what's happening. When the Federalist Society uh, makes the decisions about who will serve on the court, when you have these rock-ribbed, uh, I, I, you know, what Richard Nixon called strict constructionists, but what they now call themselves originalists, well, if they wanted to be originalists, they shouldn't allow women to, women to vote. Well, uh, and there'd be know. muskets instead yeah. of these uh, AK-47s. Yeah. We haven't even gotten into the question of, of guns. That's right. And uh, this, to me, again, is a real matter of, of choice uh, in terms of where we're going to go. And people look at Joe Biden, who, by the way, has had a very successful presidency legislatively. And certainly, if you read the speeches, the major speeches he's given, they 
they've been outstanding. The only negative about Joe Biden is his age. And I can also assure you, as soon as the midterms are over this week, uh, if the Democrats lose substantially, the question will be, what do we do about Joe Biden? If the Democrats win, there will still be concern. If you take a look at the polls, the main issue is his age. And I'm not an ageist by any stretch of the imagination, but the Democratic Party, like the Republican Party, had better start looking at the next generation, as John F. Kennedy and Richard Nixon did in 1960. Uh, Kennedy was uh, 43, Nixon was 48, and the, as President Kennedy said in his inaugural address, uh, the torch has been passed to a new generation of Americans. Well, if we have a reprise of Trump versus Biden, um, let, me, let me just offer you this example. There is only one president of the United States who was younger than I am, and that was Barack Obama. And that's disturbing, because you want fresh blood. It doesn't discount what these individuals give or contribute, nor, I was asked the other day, am I in favor of Joe Biden's renomination? If Joe Biden wants to run for re-election, by God, he should. And the American people will have to make a choice based on his age and and his policies and all the rest. But it's going to be interesting because I can tell you, Jill, that the mix of people is going to change. Let me also indicate, take a look at the Republicans that are planning to run, if Trump doesn't, including Ron DeSantis in Florida, including Mike Pence, the former vice president, whose memoir is coming out right after the election. Uh, uh, we're talking about Josh Hawley of Missouri, who is planning to run. Tom Cotton, who has a new book out, uh, and I've only read a bit of it. I've just ordered a copy. Uh, these are right-wing, evangelical, Christian, uh, and I have to tell you, I'm, I'm very worried about it, because I prefer a Republican Party in the spirit of Wendell Wilkie, Tom Dewey, Dwight Eisenhower, Richard Nixon, Barry Goldwater, uh, yes, even Ronald Reagan. So it's... it's uh, well, yes, because the Republican Party used to at least believe in democracy. <laughs> and uh, when you were talking about the loyal opposition, that meant that they were uh, operated in good faith and they were, they were trustworthy. Um, but now we have the disloyal opposition and they're not operating in good faith because power and control is more important, and I need to go to a break. If you're just joining us, we're speaking with John Rothman, longtime talk show host, formerly with KGO Radio, and lecturer on American politics. I'm your host, Jill Cody. Coming up tonight at 6 p.m., the State of Mind radio show, Aging with HIV. While human immunodeficiency virus, commonly called HIV and AIDS, has been transformed from a deadly disease to a chronic, manageable condition, there is still stigma, discrimination, and misunderstanding that can have a significant impact on the mental health of those living with it. Guest host and psychotherapist Kalejo Kaluhiwa is joined by mental health counselor Brian Golson to discuss the unique and complex physical and mental health needs of those living and aging with HIV. Guest Jim Schultz also shares his experience of living through the AIDS epidemic and how for more than 30 years he's learned to manage his condition and live well with HIV. 
So join us for new understandings and seeds of possibility on State of Mind tonight at 6, and again on Monday, November 14th, 6 to 7 p.m., right here on KSQD 90.7 FM and live streaming at ksqd.org. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Be Bold America on KSQD 90.7 FM. Now, John, I, I, you know, in the last few minutes, I like to ask what our guests would think um, our listeners could keep doing, stop doing, and start doing. Uh, but I still want to go back to the Supreme Court for a second, because um, one of the court, Barrett, um, What's her name? <laughs> Amy Coney Barrett. Amy, Amy Coney Barrett was raised in a religious cult. She's still in that cult. And I felt that their Dobbs decision was based um, on religion, on a religious belief, uh, because of when they decide when life begins. But also, you know, I think MAGA's become a religion, and you've got Clarence Thomas, Clarence Thomas wife Ginny, being in that MAGA religion, but also coming up, not just the uh, affirmative action decision, but also the Moore v. Harper decision, which considers the bizarre theory that Trump was pushing Pence to accept that voters don't determine who becomes president via the Electoral College, but that individual state legislatures can simply award their electoral votes to whichever candidate strikes their fancy. So I'm very concerned about our Supreme Court having a role in destroying our democracy as well. Your thoughts? Uh, Look, I'm very concerned about the makeup of the Supreme Court, but it doesn't surprise me. Hmm. As I said earlier, when you vote for a candidate for president, uh, you vote for what the Supreme Court makeup will be. Uh, I always tell the story, my old friend Shirley Breyer Black, Stephen Breyer's aunt, who was a dear friend and lived here in San Francisco, she always used to remind me that if only Al Gore had won in 2000, been inaugurated, that Stephen Breyer would have been Chief Justice and it would have been the Breyer Court. You know, we don't just vote for a presidential candidate. When you elect someone as president, you know that it's a choice. And those of you who listen to me on KGO know that every election year, and I did every election year since 1996 for KGO, it was always the Supreme Court. And I always said, you're voting for more than just a candidate for president. Well, the American people made a choice. And my, I'm hoping, it's just my own personal view, that the American people will respond to the Dobbs decision by giving the Republicans a sound thrashing, as they did, by the way, in Kansas, you may recall. Yes, I do. That was a and, very nice moment. <laughs> and it's on the ballot in a number of states, including Michigan, uh, Constitution there, and here in California. Yeah, in California, uh, too. Mm-hmm. So uh, my, I, I, I have to have faith in the American system. I have to go back to what Al Gore said, uh, that even though he disagreed with the Supreme Court decision, there is a Supreme Court and there is a law that governs this country. If we give up on that, then we give up on America. We give up on American democracy. And my father was an immigrant from Nazi Germany. Mm. And I'm going to assure you the lesson that he taught me is you must not give up on democracy. You have to keep fighting. So my advice to all of our listeners, and I assume you're going to put this up as a podcast. Oh, absolutely. I urge people to uh, send this to all your friends. The most important single message I can give, no matter where you live, vote. Vote. I don't care how you vote, as long as you get out there and vote. 
vote and continue participating no matter what happens after this election. Apathy doesn't move the country or democracy forward. Uh, but my father told me many years ago, the crooks have won. <laughs> you know, when you look at J.D. Vance that collected money for a nonprofit but using it for his campaign, and Steve Bannon did that too with his build a wall. And, and Donald Trump. And Donald Trump is the biggest one of all, the king of crooks. Grifter. What a grifter. Yes. But you know something? I, I know there's corruption in politics. I'm a political historian. I can give you yes. examples. Uh, Always been. In San been. Francisco, mm -hmm. we had Abe Roof. Uh, in New York, they had Tammany. Uh, we, we have uh, Artie Samish here in California. We had corruption. But you have to believe, if you're going to live in a country like this, that democracy prevails. That, in the end, people do the right thing. They may make mistakes along the way. But if you can't believe that, in the end, the system will, in fact, perform, whatever inadequacies there may be, then we're lost. Then the system we operate under is lost. And I refuse to concede that that's possible. Right, right. I, there's another concern I have, too, and uh, it might play out after the election. And that's the, the movement or the people that say there's going to be a civil war. Civil war. And we're not divided anymore. We're very enmeshed. It's not that there's the South and the North. And, you know, we've even in California, we have our Republicans and our Central Valley and our Coast uh, Democrats and Central Valley Republicans. We're so enmeshed that I think our civil war may start looking like what happened to Paul Pelosi. Uh, civil war could also, and I ask people to consider this, those of us who lived through the civil rights movement and remember the Southern Manifesto in 1956, or those of us who lived through the Vietnam War and remember the divisive Democratic Convention in Chicago in 1968. I mean, I could give you examples historically as a historian of many times when we have been divided, mother against father, parents against children. I mean, I've seen it. In the end, we regain our balance. If we could survive Watergate, where the system appeared to break down, but in the end, uh, despite everything, the courts worked, the Congress worked, even the executive branch worked, the press worked. I happen to believe, I have to believe, otherwise I would live in despair. And I am, Jill, the eternal optimist. I always believe that things are going to get better. Look, I may have lost my job at KGO, but I get to be on your broadcast. Yay! <laughs> my honor. <laughs> no, my pleasure. You know, this, this is almost therapeutic, and that's why I hope your listeners take this broadcast and put it out everywhere. Let people know that there are still radio talk show hosts who are thoughtful, who may have opinions but allow for diversity of opinion, and to encourage people to support the idea of talk radio. Uh, that really means something, uh, and, uh, and I hope that message is conveyed. Well, I was wondering, too, what happened to serious people thinking seriously and running for a serious government? I mean, look at the United Kingdom with Boris Johnson and Liz Truss. Um, you know, and then we have Donald Trump. And I just wondered, what happened to the serious people? Do they not run anymore? Look, I've always wanted to run for political office, to be very honest with you. But think about what that entails. Think about what happened to Nancy Pelosi and Paul yes. Pelosi. 
Well, that's the about, intention to scare people off. Well, sure. Not only that, when you run for political office, it's very expensive. Very expensive. Millions of dollars. The amount of money being spent in these midterm elections is obscene. And I, I can only tell you that also discourages you because in order for someone to run for office, in a sense, they have to sell their soul and uh, their vote. There are very few politicians who will stand up out of principle. And that, by the way, is what impressed me about Liz Cheney. It what, it's what impresses me about Adam Kinzinger. It's what impresses me about Mitt Romney. Uh, I'm only speaking of Republicans now. Right. There are Democrats who have stood up over the years and, and made their positions clear. I don't even mind dissension in a political party. Remember when Teddy Kennedy ran against Jimmy Carter for the Democratic nomination for president? Dissension, discussion, uh, yes, a level of anger, but controlled anger, responsible anger. Uh, constructive just, anger, uh, being constructive with your anger. Yeah. Uh, look, I loved going into KGO three hours a day. And who called me? All kinds of people, but the Trumpists called me. Do you know why they called? Because I let them express themselves. I argued with them. But the nicest tributes that I received, and by the way, it's almost as if I've gone to my own funeral. I've read all the <laughs> dear. emails. Oh, dear. I don't have to die to find out what people think of me. Are the Trumpists who sent me emails saying, thank God you were on talk radio, because we had a chance to speak, to express ourselves, and to be treated respectfully. The greatest compliment which was paid to me as a radio talk show host is that I treated, almost all the time, people with respect. And uh, that, to me, is also a critical factor. So we need to have a civil discourse, and we need to have radio opportunities uh, where people can express themselves and where you have intelligent discussion. Well, like the greatest compliment broadcast. to me is having you on my show. It's just been a delight. And and, and I guess your your response with uh, what listeners could keep doing, stop doing, and start doing is vote, vote, vote. And, John, I'm so grateful for the opportunity to speak t with you today. You are a bold and impressive guest. I also want to thank my sister from another mother and father, Margaret Franz uh, Costello, for connecting us, because I, I just sure hope you'll come back again someday. I will, and I hope Margaret particularly enjoyed this broadcast. And I urge your listeners, take this as a podcast, put it out everywhere, send it to your friends all over the country. There's 48 hours till the election. Maybe it will help people who are trying to decide what to do. And Jill, my thanks to you. It'll be a pleasure to participate with you anytime. Oh, thank you, John. Thank you so much. Well, um, you know, this is also a very proud moment for Natural Bridges Media and the nonprofit that runs KSQD because we have a unique opportunity to purchase two more radio licenses that will triple our coverage. We're fundraising right now, so um, go to our website and please make a cash donation or instead donate an item for our fundraising auction on November 19th. I want to give a special thank you to Be Bold America's program engineer, Eliza James, and our station program director, Howard Feldstein. You're listening to KSQD Santa Cruz, many voices, one station. Listen worldwide online at ksqd.org. Stay tuned for State of Mind with Deborah Schloss. My name is Jill Cody, and thank you for listening to Be Bold America. Until next time, keep, stop, start, vote, vote, vote.